Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. I'm blessed to have Pastor Dan Fisher, Fairview Baptist Church, Edmond, Oklahoma, and we are at the Liberty Pastors Conference in Edmond. It's been phenomenal. Dan, I think you are about done with your presentations, and now others get to go up and speak today. Um, just first of all, thank you for being back on Stand Up For The Truth. Oh, David, it's, it's so good to be with you. I, I appreciate so much what you do, and you've, you've been a great uh, cheerleader for us, and of course you're doing a great work yourself, so thank you. It's, it's a joy to be with you. Well, praise God. And you guys, Liberty Pastors, we're trying to, we, in fact, before we got on the air here, we were talking about ideas, how we can get this message of what Paul Blair and Dan Fisher are doing, Liberty Pastors, out to pastors across the country. If you have any ideas on how we could do this, get a hold of us, comments at standupforthetruth.com, comments at standupforthetruth.com. Go to libertypastors.com. There's a, a link on there. You can get all the, the presentations. Does your pastor need to hear what these guys are doing? I've invited several pastors to come here. One of them came from Colorado, by the way. But, uh, Dan, I want to talk about, we've had you on several times now. We talked about the Black Robe Regiment. We have a lot of new listeners now since you were on last. And so let's start there. We can touch on Romans 13. We can touch on what you and Paul have been doing here. Well, you know what? Let me, let me do this. Let's talk about the conferences themselves and what your vision is to try to inform pastors, get them to engage, and you're learning about what they do not know. So share with us what you and Paul are doing. Yeah, well, Paul and I have obviously been pastors for years. Uh, I'll turn 62 in August, and I've been preaching since I was 16. So I've been a full-time minister since I was 22. So it's a lot of years. And one of the things that we've come to understand is that there are certain myths, lies, that we've been taught all of our lives that we think are true. Things like separation of church and state. Uh, you can't legislate morality. Those kinds of things. Well, those none of those are true, but pastors are convinced that if they speak out on issues like this, they're going to lose their tax-exempt status at the church. They're going to get into trouble with the IRS. All this kind of stuff. Well, we've become convinced that pastors need to hear the the biblical and historic perspective on these things. So we've put together what we call a Liberty Pastors Boot Camp or Training Camp, where we our vision is to teach the nuts and bolts, David, to the pastors to enable them to do what Paul and I have been trying to do over the last 20 or so years. I wish that someone had been around back then to teach us the ropes, so to speak. And we had assumed that some of these things pastors knew, and it turns out they, they don't know a lot of these things. They, they don't know where the phrase separation of church and state came from. They don't know that it isn't in the Constitution, that it's not in Scripture, you know, the concept. All of these things, and so we've just decided, well, we've learned the hard way through the school of Knox. We'll, we'll, we'll just, uh, 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 teach the pastors this. So so we are, and this um, this conference is very targeted. Everybody is welcome, obviously, any Christian, but particularly pastors and church leaders. 
to teach them the basics of what it means to be a black robe regiment preacher in the 21st century and then to engage in this culture war before, as you said earlier in our visit, we lose it all. So our freedoms are being threatened. Uh, we've got, in fact, that is one of the most popular topics on the podcast over the last year since COVID. BC, it was church discernment and other issues, social justice. But now, after the corona, it's been religious freedom. Um, you talk a lot about that. And go back to the black-robed regiment because a lot of people need either a refreshing or a lot of our newer listeners I'm sure have not heard about it. So, Patriot Pastors, share with us a little bit of that background and your book, please. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, the Black Regiment is the title that the British gave to the preachers of the 18th century who were preaching about these things in their pulpits and then when the war broke out, led the men of their congregations and communities off to fight for liberty. Had it not been for these Patriot Pastors, likely there would have not been a war of independence. These guys were the ones fanning the flames. Now, we call them the black-robed regiment because the black regiment was in reference to the black robes they all preached in in those days. Most pastors don't wear black robes anymore, but they did then. All of them did. And so these guys were men who were engaging their culture bringing a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective onto this, the scene in the 18th century. Now, our issues may be different in the 21st century, but in the end, the issues tend to be the same when you boil them down. It's about liberty, freedom of expression, freedom of belief, and having a tyrant tell you, no, you're going to think the way I want you to think, you're going to talk the way I want you to talk, you're going to take this shot whether you want it or not. You're going to put on this mask whether you want to wear it or not. No, you're going to shut your church down until we tell you you can open it back up. So really, when you boil it down, the issues are about the same. So what, what Paul and I are, are teaching is that just like the pastors who led their men off to fight on battlefields in a war of bullets and cannonballs, we're hoping that we can fight a culture war with a modern expression of the Black Robe Regiment in in a little more peaceful way uh, before we lose everything and then we literally will have to fight to regain our liberties if we could even if we could even get them back so dan explain to our listeners how in those days the black robed preachers would literally many of them take off their robes grab their guns and go out and they were leading soldiers so they not not only led their congregations and preached the whole counsel of god but they led and were men of faith and men of fight they had the fight in them so in today's church what does that look like as far as leading because leaders lead and a lot of times a lot of pastors are hesitant to address what's going on outside of church walls, religious freedom issues, or anything else? Yeah. Well, in my book where, that I wrote about the Black Robe Regiment, and if you don't mind me giving a, a shameless plug, oh, folks can go to my website, danfisherbrr.com, and pick up the book. I've also written on, on Romans 13 a, a proper perspective on what Paul had to write about submission to authority. That book's also available, plus the DVD telling the story of the Black Robe Regiment. So, so how does that work in the 21st century? Well, these men were confronting the issues with biblical truth, and they didn't censor the message. They weren't afraid of being politically correct. They weren't afraid of not getting as much applause or, or their, their paycheck. So what does that look like today? It means pastors stop censoring the message, stop preaching Christian psychology. They, they go to the whole counsel of God and, and they preach about subjects 
that are self-evident truths, as Thomas Jefferson said, that are just as spiritual as tithing or having a good, strong marriage. I mean, government, civil government, is God's design. That's not a, that's not a design for men. That's one of the three institutions God created so that we can have a civil society. Well, why shouldn't we preach on those passages? And you know at this conference, I've been reading quotes from pastors from the First Great Awakening mm-hmm. in the 1850s and 60s, I mean, excuse me, the 1750s and 60s, who were preaching about all of these issues and saying, why shouldn't we preach about uh, issues of governance and what we'd call politics from the pulpit since the Bible addresses these? So that's what a pastor would look like. And he wouldn't be afraid to preach on something controversial. He's not controlled by whether or not his attendance is going to go up or down or whether the offerings are going to go higher or lower. He's, he's concerned about the whole truth and gives it to his people. They want to hear the truth, David. They're begging for it. And our pastors are so fearful these days. If they don't lead, they need to be moved out of the way and someone else needs to take their place. I agree, and most of our listeners, I think, would as well. One of the main emails we get oftentimes is, where can I find a Bible preaching church that covers the whole counsel of God, that does do verse-by-verse study and in-depth Bible prophecy, Old Testament, but also addresses what's going on outside of church walls, including whether it's abortion or the LGBTQ or the government tyranny or other social justice apostasy. Now we have CRT, critical race theory. But um, share with us a little bit more about the Black Robe Regiment and, and, and what that would look like today, because they not only preached from the Word of God, but when they were threatened, they addressed it. And I think, it, and I know you probably would say the same, it's irresponsible almost not to address what's going on, to equip the saints to prepare your people, the congregation. Well, it's dereliction of duty. You know, Ezekiel said that we are watchmen on the wall. If you see the enemy approaching and you sound the alarm and no one listens, your hands are clean. But if you see the enemy approaching and you don't do anything, then you're guilty of whoever's blood is spilled. Now, none of us want to fight. You know, we, we, we all try to avoid controversy. We don't want to be in, in debates. We don't want to argue with people. But we can't avoid this fight any longer. We've avoided it to the place that we're backed into a corner where if we don't come out fighting, David, we're going to lose everything. Now, when I say fight, I I don't want people to think, I mean, go home, get your AR-15 and load it up, and let's go out and start shooting some people. Unfortunately, for the preachers of the 18th century, that's what it came to. They they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried. The Declaration of Independence lists 27 grievances they had with the king. There were many more. They had tried for years to petition the king and the parliament. They would not hear. Finally, they came to a place where they said, look, we're going to have to draw a line in the sand. We're going to declare our independence. We don't want a war. But if they bring it on us, we're going to defend ourselves. That is a biblical principle. We have a responsibility to protect the innocent, to protect children. We're not doing that. We're allowing our children to be brainwashed in our government schools. We're having vaccines forced on them. They're they're being exposed to sexual information that they're not even old enough to process. We're allowing little children to change genders without parental consent. What in the world else needs to happen before shepherds of their congregation say, 
enough. Yes. And we begin to stand up and go to town hall meetings and talk to the city council and the mayor. And we go visit with our legislators or we run for the legislature. We go visit with the governor or we run for governor. I mean, it is time to engage and to stop thinking that politics or government is some nasty business. The only reason it's become nasty is because the salt and light, meaning Christians, has been removed from it. So that's what it would look like. These guys have to get in their pulpits and call it like it is. Stop worrying about the the fallout. Preach repentance. uh, Preach confession of sin. Admission of it. Stop calling something an alternate lifestyle. No, God calls it a perversion. He says... It's, it's an abomination. I hate it. We don't hate the people. God doesn't hate the people, but he, he hates the sin, and we must do the same. That's what it means. These guys have got to get outside of their churches, David. They've got to run for office or help others who are genuine warriors run for office and get them elected. You know that I served in the Oklahoma legislature, and I was still a full-time pastor of a church with a 1,000-plus with members. Uh, it was a lot of plates to spin in the air, but you, it can be done. The, the preachers of the 18th century were doing the same thing. One of the quintessential black robe guys was Peter Muhlenberg, a name that most people might recognize. Well, he served in the Virginia House of Burgesses beside George Washington and Patrick Henry while he was still pastoring a church. Wow. And then when the war broke out, they couldn't avoid it. He joined the army and became regular army. And by the time the war was over, this Lutheran preacher was promoted to major general. And his statue is in Statuary Hall in the in the Capitol in Washington, D.C. today. So that's that's what it meant then. And, and to a degree, that's what it means now. A pastor. A pastor. Yeah. A, an active pastor. And, and so here we are facing a cultural meltdown. And pastors are still wondering whether or not they they might want to tweak this sermon and be just a little more edgy. Good grief, when are we going to realize the kitchen's on fire and we better start dousing some water on it or the whole thing's going to go up in flames. But David, you know this, we now have noted Christian leaders saying that you ought to unhitch from the Old Testament and get rid of it and that we, we can only trust the red letters in the New Testament, so this red letter movement, uh, well, of course we follow Jesus. And yes, Jesus uh, taught us uh, pretty much everything we need to know, but he ordained the, the apostles to give us the epistles, which is the New Testament, so we can know how to run the church and how to live our lives. But see, now you've got these noted leaders saying, just unhitch. Well, that that's Christianity with amnesia, because without the Old Testament... What what does the New Testament even mean? Who is Jesus if you don't have the Old Testament? And by the way, Jesus said the Old Testament speaks of me. So good grief, these guys. So, but see, they're battling with this while their culture is in full meltdown. John Witherspoon, who was a Presbyterian preacher in the 18th century, he was also a member of the Continental Congress, and he was president of what became Princeton. He said that there's not a single instance in history in which civil liberty was lost and religious liberty was preserved. So they are, they are, they are woven together so much so that when you lose civil liberty, i.e., uh, you lose your right to choose whether or not you're going to take a vaccination. Uh, you, you, you are, you're cavity searched at the airport or, you, you, you know, against your will or you're just not going to fly. All these things. 
when you lose all these civil liberties, you understand that religious liberty is sucked right down the drain with it. You, you can't separate these. So these folks think they're safe in their churches while their culture is melting down right outside the building. No. The meltdown will come right into the church. And if we haven't noticed yet, it's already happened. The church is surrendering critical doctrine. Even the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been a member of the Southern Baptist Convention most of my adult ministry life. They are now battling with issues that we would have never thought would be debated. And now the Southern Baptist Convention is on the verge of splitting because of this tremendous drift. Well, the Southern Baptist Convention was one of the last denominations that had stuck true to the Bible. So, good grief, if we can't see that the war is here, I think we're blind. Dan Fisher, um, Liberty Pastors. I'm here at the conference in Edmond, Oklahoma, and of course he uh, was co-pastor with Paul Blair at Fairview Baptist Church. I think of so many scriptures about Paul warning about uh, they're, cre- they're already in the church, the wolves. They're already, doctrines have crept in, men have crept in unnoticed, in the last days, and all these other things, Second Timothy 3. But one thing you said about uh, being prepared for battle, which may or may not come, but we have a battle upon us. Yeah. I thought of Nehemiah chapter 4. When they were building the wall, they had a weapon in one hand and, and, and they were working with the other. Explain in the last couple minutes here in this segment, Dan, and, and I've just confirmed you brought up so many issues. We have to have you back. So we'll have you back for a full podcast. But in that light of how, what, what does that look like today? Because I believe that is very applicable to our pastors and our churches today and the people of God being prepared to fight while they're working. Yeah. Well, I kind of call it the yellowing of the church as in cowardice. You know, most of our churches around the country at least used to be white and red brick, you know, and white paint. We ought to paint them all yellow because we've gone coward. Uh, so when you go to Nehemiah, you find that our faith demands that we also defend the truth. And we don't like to, to admit it, but this world is a fallen place. Because of Adam's sin, it's a fallen place. Evil people roam the earth. The devil is doing his thing. Unfortunately, sometimes we literally have to defend the truth. We did it in World War II. We did it in World War I. Why is it all of a sudden we've become so adverse to the idea of fighting for what is right? Well, we just roll over and surrender, I guess. And so what Nehemiah and the Israelites were doing is they understood truth is important. We want to get along with people. But if people don't want to get along with us, we're going to work with one hand and we're going to hold a weapon with another. And if it had not been for that mentality, David, America wouldn't even exist. Now, none of us want a full-on fight with people. I said it a while ago. Paul and I are not advocating that we start a literal war. But the war is upon us whether we want it or not. Now the question is, will we just keep surrendering ground until we have to literally fight for our lives? I mean, what are you going to do? If you believe that you have an unalienable right to to have firearms to defend yourself and your family, what are you going to do if they come to your house and say, turn them over? You going to do that? Mm. Uh, We we saw in Germany how that looks. Uh, If they tell you, you're going to get on this train, you're going to get on this bus, you're going to get on this plane, well, where do those buses and trains and planes go to? I've seen what those camps look like. So in the end, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, A Lutheran pastor in Germany was faced with this very dilemma. And his books are taught in churches today about discipleship and community among believers. But he was a part of some of the attempts to assassinate Hitler because he he realized they had gone past the mark and they literally had to fight. So 
are we going to do that in America? Are we just going to wait until we literally have to fight from street to street? So that's why Paul and I are saying, pastors, wake up. Wake up and speak out. Isn't that interesting, Bonhoeffer? Wasn't it approximately one-third of German pastors that actually did try to engage and fight and organize when two-thirds kind of caved and gave in to the Nazis? The, the problem is, though, in my opinion, and I'm not an authority on this, they kind of waited too long. You know, you can wait too long, and even though you've got this remnant, you may just be so overpowered and outplayed on the chessboard that it's just too late. Boy, is that an application for today. There is a remnant of true Bible-believing Christians and solid leaders in America. There's a remnant. But did we wait too long? And that's why I want to point people to libertypastors.com. Get your pastor at least connected with this website where they can, he can watch some in, some of these presentations and hopefully attend a future event. In mid-September, there's one down in Houston. Uh, we're a little short on time, but tell us a little bit about the one in Houston, Texas coming up. Yeah, there's going to be one in Houston. It's a replication of what we're doing here. Uh, it's at the, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the place. Can you think of it very quickly? I'm drawing a blank. Um, good grief. All I can think of is the wilds, and that's not it. The woods? Uh, no, uh, well... Woodlands, woodlands. There we go. It's a, it's the woodlands. Uh, I, I encourage people in the in the Dallas. Uh, I realize Dallas is what three hours from Houston, but still, that's not too far to drive. Get your pastor there. Get him to be a part of this. Hey, and by the way, we're going to be doing one of these in Michigan as well, in uh, in early November. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So these things are beginning to happen. I think folks are beginning to wake up. At least I hope they are. So we're going to see. Yeah. Dan Fisher, Liberty Pastors, thank you so much. We will have you back again. The website, danfisherbrr.com, and his book on bringing back the black-robed regiment. I highly recommend it. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, David. God bless you, buddy. All right, when we come back, we'll uh, d- dive into the next topic. and ensure- Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. I'm blessed to have with me Dran Reese, president of the Salt and Light Council, Biblical Citizenship. So as you know, we're here at Liberty Pastors uh, Conference in Edmond, Oklahoma. Phenomenal conference, Pastors Conference, and America certainly is at the crossroads. So Dran Reese is the president of Salt and Light Council, and she told me some fascinating information on how they are working to get this information to churches. Why? Because churches generally have not been engaging the culture and aware of these issues. One of the main focuses she has is public school exit, and that's trying to get Christian kids out of the public school. So, Dran, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I just want to get some background on your um, history, your testimony, and maybe how you became president of the Salt and Light Council, so our audience can get to know you a little bit. About 15 years ago, I started reading books, The Marketing of Evil and America Alone. And I took both of those books up to my pastor at the church and said, why are we not talking about these things? In the first book, it outlined the 12 issues in America that are setting our world backwards and a moral decay, including how the gay rights movement sat around a round table and came up with a marketing plan for us to accept the LGBT community, including uh, redefining words and terms. Are you talking about the book by David Kupelian? Yes. I have it. I've read it. It's on my bookshelf. Phenomenal. Tell us more about that. Well, that book is phenomenal. I agree. Everybody should read that. Even today, it's still relevant. And so I read that book, took it up to my pastor and asked him, why aren't we talking about these issues? He somewhat patted me on the back, and I I guess I was satisfied. However, what happened was he saw that I had an interest in 
so-called politics, which are really our biblical moral issues. And there was a bill that was coming through California, and as you know, California is the poster child for immorality now in the nation. And this bill years ago was SB 777, where they were trying to pass that in high schools there now could be a king and a king and a queen and a queen. That's right. It was crazy. And so he offered to me to stand behind a table to help get petition signatures, and he mentioned it from the pulpit. As a result of that, the entire congregation literally came out to the table. We were flooded with signatures. And so I knew then the power of the pulpit. Mm -hmm. When the pastor speaks, the people act. And so as a result of that, I had a conversation with our pastors. We agreed that we would start a governmental civics ministry inside the church. And we aptly named it Salt and Light. And as a result of that, we are now, I, I was in, completely encouraged because I realized that this is what every church in America needs to engage in the culture. We're now in 23 states. We have been doing this for now what amounts to 13 years. We're a 501c3. And if you're out there listening and you're wondering, why is my pastor not engaged? We have the tools. We have the training. The time is now. Thank you. Uh, so many of our listeners are sh probably shouting amen right now with what you just shared. So 13 years, Adran Reese, president of the Salt and Light Council. How did you learn about Liberty Pastors and get connected with Paul Blair and Dan Fisher? Well, I believe that the Lord works in mysterious ways and connects us with people who are in our wheelhouse and who are of sim similar heart and mind. And I have known Paul, Pastor Paul Blair for many years, and actually he heard about our Salt and Light ministry, and he invited me to his church in Edmond, and I came and spoke at a pastor's luncheon about our ministry. And Pastor Paul Blair also has a Salt and Light ministry in his church. He understands the value of being engaged in uh, different levels of civil engagement, which is, one, you have to pray for your elected officials. Now, that is great, and it's fairly easy to pray for your elected officials. But it's even another step forward to start engaging in biblical worldview training. Yes. And then after that, once you have a solid biblical worldview framework, then you understand how important civics is and you start to engage in taking action on issues and legislation. So Paul, Pastor Paul understands that. So I'm grateful for him. And then through our network, we're going around the country, and we are uh, engaging in uh, teaching pastors or, or, or equipping pastors to have the courage to unite together, link arms so they're not alone in this battle. This is, I think, one of the key areas all of us need to understand. You are not alone. Mm. There are people like us that are here to help engage you, help to stay with you. Pastors and churches all around the country are coming together. The remnant is rising. You use the word remnant. I use it a lot. And I describe the true remnant of Bible-believing Christians that want to apply the biblical worldview to how our families, how we live, how we vote. Um, this pamphlet, the cover of it says a lot, and it's a tall order. The Salt and Light Council, Biblical Citizenship for Churches, working together to restore our nation's biblical and moral foundations. Stop right there. That, that, that's going to take a lot of work. We've got a long way to go. But what if Jesus tarries? What if he doesn't return in the near future? There, there's a, a lot of time that we could potentially waste between now and then, and there's a lot of work to be, be done. So I want you to talk about that and also... Um, you mentioned you homeschooled, you're a homeschool mom. 
Um, I don't know when you want to transition to talk a little bit about public school exit, but first of all, this is a, a lofty goal. Some in the church, the naysayers, might say it's not even worth it at this point. What, how would you respond to that and share your thoughts on that? Well, I can't imagine that anyone in the church would say it's not a worthwhile goal to be uh, engaged in restoring the foundations of our nation. We have a root rot right now. It's serious in America. And I don't know if we'll recover, but we will recover if one person at a time, one church at a time, gets involved in restoring our foundation. So you asked about that question, how do we do that? Well, just picture with me the concrete floor of a house, okay? And you have a house built on top of it. Now, what's happened in America is that concrete has started to lift and crack. Well, here we have a house on top of a lifting and cracking foundation. If we don't go back and restore the foundation, fix the foundation of the, of the house first, that house is going to fall over. But here's what we're doing. Right now we're patching the roof with a bill and an issue and a legislation, or we're running somebody for office and you know fixing a window, and we're forgetting about foundational issues. Here's the problem. <clears throat> God's word is either true or it isn't true. So <clears throat> what we've done is we have tried to build comparisons of God's word to the Republican Party and the Democrat Party out there. Quite a contrast. Quite a contrast. <laughs> and if you are a true biblical citizen, I suggest that you go to our website, biblicalvoter.com, biblicalvoter.com. That's what we have a suite of ministries. They all work together. Biblicalvoter.com and download the step-by-step -step guide to biblical voting, what Americans need to know to save our country. And in there is an incredible comparison chart done by Bishop Art Hodges out of United Pentecostal churches. We're cross-denominational. We're in all sort of Lutheran, Methodist, Calvary, as you name it, uh, Baptist, because what we offer is cross-denominational for churches who are worth their salt and people who are worth their salt. But the point is is that it compares them, and that's how we restore our foundations, is that we be decide that we are going to face the truth of God's word and apply it to the culture mm -hmm. and stand on it. Here, here's the other thing. I say to people, I don't get an opinion. And if you take the pee out of opinion, you get an onion, and it makes people cry when you go out there and say, well, I feel or I think. You don't feel or think. God's word stands. What does God say on all these issues of life and marriage, what we call God's non-negotiable moral values? Mm -hmm. If we compromise there, we've compromised God's word. Therefore, God's word mean no means nothing in culture. And if you look at it, much of the church is uninfluential anymore. And that's why we are calling for revival in this world. Well, why would you be calling for revival? Reviving something is usually something that's already dead as a doornail. And you are, you are putting it on life support to try to revive it back to its former state. And that doesn't mean it will be revived. But are we calling for revival for a church that is literally dead and uninfluential? So the point is, folks out there, if you want to see America survive and thrive, we must engage in biblical worldview training to be salt and light. And our website, Salt and Light Council, C O U N C I L dot org, uh, is the first step. And in there, if you go to saltandlightcouncil.org, you will see our suite of ministries. And how that leads me into public school exit um, is because the church, again, <clears throat> is the problem with America, but it's also the solution. 
I love that. The church is the problem, but also the solution. Now, I think, can I, can I read a little bit into what you're saying? And that pastors should be leaders and shepherds and watchmen, but we really haven't equipped the saints. We really haven't prepared the flock, the congregations for influence in our culture. That's so important, the influence, and that's where Salt and Light comes in. So saltandlightcouncil.org will have the website in the podcast notes today at standupforthetruth.com. But we're speaking with Dran Reese. She's the president of the Salt and Light Council. Let's transition now into this very important topic, public school exit, and I've got your card in front of me. It says parents have a choice. The website is publicschoolexit.com. What does that mean? I mean, my parents were teachers. My sisters were teachers. I had a couple, a cousin that, that was a teacher, a couple friends that were teachers in the public schools. This was decades ago and when they were already sunk, um, eliminating the biblical Christian worldview from the schools. And once you take that, it leaves a massive void that's got to be filled with something. Well, first of all, there's a lot of people that go, yeah, there's still hope for reform, though, in the schools. I think they're lost, but I want to get your take on it and tell us about public school exit. Well, for that very reason, we started Public School Exit because we believe that it's a colossal waste of time to try to reform the public schools. It is so far gone, and we need to train our children in biblical worldview. It says for us it's the parents' responsibility to train their children up in the way they should go. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, turn your kids over to some government indoctrination camp and let somebody else that you don't know work on their minds. So the point of all of this, if we're going to see America survive and thrive, it's to get our children back. In fact, it was Lenin and the Marxists who said, just give me one generation of youth and I will transform a nation. Now that we understand that, that they have been after us and have been slipping in through all the institutions and using a variety of different uh, courses that they're trying to cram through our children in the public schools, like number one, get rid of prayer, number two, get rid of Bible, which were Supreme Court decisions, and then what after you have complete ownership and the parents just for some reason think it's a rite of passage to send your kids off to a public school, now we can start indoctrinating them with any form of thought that we want. And frankly, folks, your children are going to walk away ill-equipped, uninformed, mm -hmm. and confused. And they may not survive understanding that they are made in the image of God. They might choose a different path, which is uh, a promotion of the transgender lifestyle. And I, uh, I am extremely grieved over how they have been so successful in the public school. And to top it all off, the unions have become the mafia, in my opinion. So they are forcing on the public schools their new agenda, including, you know, a while back it was the Common Core. Then after Common Core, you know, and they still got Common Core in all the schools. Yeah, they just changed the name. Right. It's still there. We, we fought like crazy to get that out, but they still have it. And then after that it was the ba privacy bills, the bathroom bills. Well, did we win that battle? No. And now we have critical race theory, which is literally teaching that all the little white boys and girls in school are Marxists and racists, and this is so untrue, and oppressors of the black community, and race is now the priority, and we're teaching intersectionality that the more victimhoods that you have, if you're a, you know, if you're black and you're poor and you're a lesbian or whatever, all of a sudden you're elevated higher than someone who has skills and talent and has earned their position and their rights to have 
maybe a scholarship or to go forward in life. So it's we're we're destroying the American dream. Uh, we're destroying God and we're destroying uh, America's freedoms. And when you destroy all of those things, then you are literally a slave. And that's where we're going in the public school system. So public school exit is an amazing program. E. Ray Moore is the chairman of our board. He's the father of the homeschool movement. Alex Newman is executive director. I'm the CEO. We have an incredible advisory board, including people like Max Lyons from Foundation for Christian uh, uh, Amer- uh, Education, which is uh, promoting the principal approach. We have Freedom Project Academy with Duke Pesta, Sam Sorbo, who's married to Kevin Sorbo. We're all homeschool moms. We're very familiar with this. Let me say this. To all of you out there, there is no excuse to be turning your kids over to public schools anymore if you want to see America survive. Here's another thing. I hear parents and moms say, I can't afford it. I, I have to work. I just I don't even know what I'm doing. Well, I had all those problems myself. And I still did it because I know that the education of my children is more important. And I love my kids. God gave me this one set of children, and I must do my utmost for his highest. And so I chose to homeschool. So parents, if you go to public school exit, what you will see on that website are a ton of resources available that any parent or church can engage in right now. And I think that the churches out there are stepping up to the plate. I've met several of them at this event here and all over the country. We're building chapters where churches are saying, I want to engage. I'll either start a homeschool, I'll start a co-op, I will start a one-room schoolhouse, I'll become a Christian school, you just show me how to do it. Literally, for no cost, a church can be engaged. So it's exciting. It's very, very exciting. There's a lot that's of good that's happening that we don't hear about, but th- I'm so glad to have met you today. The Salt and Light Council, uh, we're speaking with Dran Reese. We have uh, just a couple minutes left in this segment, and in the pamphlet, it talks about train, equip, maintain biblical citizenship, and there's an acronym, PETER, uh, P-E-T-E-R, Pray, Educate, Take Action, Elections, and Restoration. And we're going now from homeschooling back to being influential Christians, biblical citizens, biblical voters. Share with us a little bit about that. Well, it's a big full circle. Anyway, it all works together because uh, being uh, a biblical citizen is about being educated in biblical worldview, and public school exit is about taking back our children so they get trained in a biblical worldview and come back to the church. So all of this is about circling back around the church to equip them to be strong influences in the culture that they once were instead of the weak and uninfluential that they now are. So what we're doing is equipping them. So we've coined a name as one of the, in the acronym Peter, Pray, Educate, Take Action, Elections, Restoration. Under E for Education, Evangelics. That's evangelism and apologetics. Love it. I know. It's fantastic. And what that means is that we have a series of biblical worldview courses for the church. They're literally half-hour courses, plug-and-play, in literally in about, oh, I would say three months, your head will be scrubbed clean of secular worldview, and you will never vote against your values again, and you will understand the importance of being engaged in the civic arena. It's exciting. I've got a phenomenal quote. I have quoted Charles Finney in my books, and uh, wow, what a great man of God. Um, in this pamphlet, 
It says, and this is Charles Finney, December 4, 1873, if our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Now, that's a heavy statement. I believe it's true because as the country goes, well, as the church goes, the country goes. And education is the same thing, isn't it? So all these things work together, all the major institutions in America. And isn't that interesting? Now we're coming full, full circle to Marxism because that was their goal, infiltrate every major institution gradually. We don't have the patience that the left has. They can see long term. And they're, they started with government, um, higher education, the university system, got in the public schools, got the corporations and the media. And now who's on the side of the church? So if we are not educating and equipping Christian children and citizens in the pews, Christian citizens, we're in a lot of trouble. That's why we are where we are. So in the last minute or so here, um, Dran, just share a final plea to parents out there or pastors about getting involved with Salt and Light. Well, as you were speaking, I had a visual of Nehemiah on his knees, and in the one hand, he had a brick and a mortar, and he was building the wall, and the other, he had a sword. And that's where we're at. It takes 50% of the church to be engaged in rebuilding the foundations of our nation through biblical worldview training and getting involved in the culture, elections, and restoring our nation one church at a time. This is one church. And on the other side, it's fighting the enemy. It is making sure that he doesn't have his way in the culture. And they are... Uh, bullying us, they're picking on us, and literally, just so you know, George Soros spent $7 billion, I think that was the amount, I could be wrong on that, but I know it was a significant amount of money to paint through all of his organizations, Christians as homophobes, bigots, and haters. So there's been an actual marketing campaign after yes. the church to remove us. Satan understands. I mean, all these different people, they have made a pact with Satan, apparently, that they are going to hate Christianity and love the money that has been put in their pocket, power and control. And so we as a Christian church have to just come together and decide that we are going to take back our country through spiritual warfare it takes all of us to get on our knees before God and repent of our sins and our absence in government, media, and education, the messaging systems of Jesus Christ. Turn it around, get involved, and we're here to give you the support and the help that you need. You do not have to be alone. You don't have to flail around and wonder what to do. We have all of those things for you. At least we give you a springboard for action. We will equip you, and we give you a place and a platform to have a voice. Um, Dran Reese, Salt and Light Council, we're going to have to have you on the podcast next month or another time because we have to talk about the content of character series, but go to saltandlightcouncil.com. God bless you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Saltandlightcouncil.org. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Saltandlightcouncil.org. God bless you. Thanks again. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're going to be speaking with Daniel Nevejas. He's with Abortion Free States. And, of course, we're still down here at the conference in Edmond, Oklahoma, for Liberty Pastors. It's phenomenal. I just heard his presentation on life, and it's more important than just pro-life. It is the abolition of abortion. I loved his presentation. So, Daniel, I have a little pamphlet here. First of all, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on with you. I loved your passion. I loved what you shared. And you've got kind of a tough message because most of the Christians, especially in our audience, 
almost everybody is pro-life. But we've learned how important it is to define the terms. So what I want you to walk us through a little bit about what you just shared, because I believe it's very impactful, and we have to kind of redirect our efforts in this trying to make a dent in this. It's not just about legislation. It is abolishing abortion. So please, first of all, tell me a little bit about your background and then how you got involved with abortion-free states. Sure. So uh, Daniel Navejas, I grew up in western Oklahoma. I've been in the ministry since I was 14 years old. Had the opportunity to travel 21 different nations around the world. Uh, about 10 years ago, God began putting in my heart, we have to be involved outside of the four walls of the church. Um, in 2018, I got an invitation from Dan Fisher, who ran for governor, to help in his campaign, and I gave him a really religious response. And I said, Dan, I don't do government and politics. I'm a preacher. I'll pray for you, um, and let me know how I can help. I'll find someone that's involved in that. And immediately, repentance came. You know, I was like, what am I saying? What am I doing? I keep saying that we're supposed to be outside the four walls of the church, and here's an opportunity. And so we got involved. We got involved with the campaign. At that time, Dan was running uh, as governor. But one of the things that uh, he was talking about was being an abolitionist in regards to pro-life. Well, at the time, I was pro-life, and I considered myself pro-life. And so I thought they were just, it was a different term. This is a catchy key, key phrase, means the same exact thing. Sure, I'm an abolitionist, whatever. Until I heard Dan say something, and what he said was, I repent for writing, co-authoring, and voting for pro-life legislation. That caught me off guard because as a pastor, I understood what repentance was. And I knew, like, what do you mean you're repenting from being pro-life? You're repenting from pro-life legislation, authoring it, co-authoring it, voting for it. And he said, here's the fact of the matter. Every pro-life law that's ever been written simply determines when, where, and how a baby may be legally murdered. And it blew my mind. And as he began to break this down, and over the next several months, I began seeing these political games that are being played Repentance came to me as well. And so we started out uh, traveling throughout the state of Oklahoma, um, talking to churches, ministers, uh, uh, intercessor groups across the state of Oklahoma and telling them what we were seeing and hearing. And gave birth to the first ministry we started was Ecclesia Oklahoma. So we developed a coalition of 10,000 followers of Christ across the state of Oklahoma. And then we recently just rebranded to AFS, Abortion Free States, because in everything that we're doing, we're focused on you know, government and politics and school boards and running people running for office and very conservative values. But we felt like the issue of abortion needed its own standalone silo. Um, so one of the first things I want to say, because probably the audience that's listening has heard me say, wait a minute, repenting from pro-life? Whoa, 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 I'm pro-life. Yeah. And the, I just want to put this preface out there that I believe that when I say pro-life and when probably the majority of your audience hears say pro-life, mm-hmm. we mean the same thing. We mean that abortion is murder. We believe that it's against God, it's against God's word, and we wanted to see it ended. But as you work your way up the political ladder, every something that is very clear, black and white, all of a sudden becomes very, very gray. And something will say, yeah, well, let's end it, let's end it today. All of a sudden, because, well we, well, we can't really do that. And so we then began playing these political games. And it kind of goes like this. Uh, one of the questions I ask people is, do you think that the pharmaceutical industry has any desire to come up with a cure for cancer? Wow. 
They don't. And so they have to realize that it is an industry that makes a lot of money hand over fist. I was in the Capitol a couple of years ago. There was a group there uh, from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma, two young guys, and they thought I was there for Rose Day, and they said, are you here to support the Rose Day bills? I said, well, I'm actually here to support SB 13, which is the Abolition of Abortion Act in Oklahoma. And they were very opposed to it. And I said, well, can you help me understand why you're opposed to this bill? And at the time, I was still learning. I was still growing. And one of the young guys that was there, he was, you know, when you're young and dumb, you don't know all the things to avoid. And he literally said out of his mouth, he said, dude, the day that we abolish abortion is the day that our paychecks are abolished. What an honest admission. And the older guy looks at him like, you're not supposed to say that. And so, again, what we see is we have these pro-life lobbyists that are claiming to want to end abortion, but they have no desire to do it. If you go to our website, afs.life, you'll see there's a video there, two videos from Tony Lowinger. He is the vice chairman for National Right to Life, and he is the chairman of Oklahomans for Life. And in these two videos, number one, you'll hear him say in one video, is that we don't want to use the Word of God. We don't want to use the Bible. We don't want to talk, use any kind of Christian language. But what we want to focus on is science and biology and medicine. We want to leave God completely out of this. And so how are you going to get a biblical response using everything except the Bible? See, what we've done for the last 48 years is we've tried everything under the sun. We, you know, Let's try this and let's try that. So every year we come back with a new law that has a new name. But every single law, so in Oklahoma we have... 278 pro-life laws, but all of them have three components, which I call the three kissing cousins. Rape, incest, and the health of the mother. The health can be a headache, it can be a high blood pressure, it can be I'm feeling suicidal. So as long as they fall into those three categories, abortion on demand. All 278 pro-life bills, a bit of legislation, provides for these exemptions. So again, every year, new bill, this is the bill that's going to end abortion, it just has new packaging on it. It's got a different name on it, but every single one of them have the same uh, facade that's going on over and over and over again. I appreciate this information because a lot of people aren't talking about it, yet they get this mailing from a pro-life organization and they chip in a few dollars, whether it's out of guilt or out of their commitment, but they don't understand the battle just keeps going back and forth in the legislature, and that's how it works. Wasn't it you in your presentation um, earlier that said something like um, when the um, a pro-life law gets passed, yes. the Democrats use that as, you know, to, to campaign and get more money. And if, if they pass something, that re, that something like more of abortion, freedom or whatever, then the Republicans use that, see what they're doing. And exactly. We call this the, the political hamster wheel. And so it's, it's amazing that both the pro-lifers... Establishment. Let me be clear, the pro-life establishment and the uh, pro-choicers, the pro-aborts, they both agree on one thing, and that's that abortion numbers are going down. If you go to almost every pro-life group in Oklahoma right now, you'll see that every one of them say, we only had 4,000 abortions in Oklahoma last year. Those numbers are down. But if you go to the CDC, they'll tell you that we had almost 7,000. Now, if you go to the Planned Parenthood, they'll also tell you that the numbers are down in Oklahoma and all those mean pro-lifers are stealing our, our rights, our women's rights. And so, guys, we've got to raise more money. We've got to raise more money. So this is the political hamster wheel that we go around. This is what happens every year. The, the pro-lifers, they write a law. They pass a law. As soon as that law gets passed and signed by the governor, the Democrats and the left, and they go out, look what the pro-lifers are doing. Look what the Republicans are doing. Look, they're, they're taking away our women's rights. So they go and do a huge fundraiser and they say, we've got to push back. We've got to push back. And then what happens is that bill will sit there and it really does nothing. So like right now in Oklahoma, we had a bill passed and signed by our governor, which was the medical licensure bill, that said if any abortionist performed an abortion, they would have their license taken away. Mm -hmm. 
as a doctor because states li give licensing to doctors. Yeah. That's been almost six months. No license have been pulled. We've added two more abortion clinics in that time frame. So we went to three abortion clinics to five. We went from 25 to 35 babies a day to 35 to 45 babies being murdered a day. And there's four more abortion clinics being sent to Oklahoma to be put together in the next two years. How is this possible when that law was passed? The laws do nothing because they allow for the three. We have 200, again, so this is one of the things I talked about in our presentation. Our Oklahoma Constitution says this, and like many state constitutions, abortion is homicide. Okay? In 1973, with the court opinion Roe v. Wade, every state added this in semicolon, except for illegal abortion. So we then have to ask ourselves, what is illegal abortion? It's all 278 Oklahoma pro-life laws we have in the book. It's all 3,500 pro-life laws we have across the nation that says if you do this, 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 and this, then you can legally murder these babies. So how can you take a license away from an abortionist when he said, wait a minute, we didn't kill this baby in an apartment complex. We didn't kill it in a, in a, um, in a hotel. They came to a place that was designated by law that you can murder babies in this facility. We made the woman wait 72 hours, so she didn't come in here and make an irrational decision. We made her time stamp a piece of paper. We said, read this pamphlet so you know that this is a human being. You fully know, so you went from making a very irrational decision out of fear, anger, whatever the situation is, and now you had to wait 72 hours. So you just went from irrational decision to premeditated murder because you fully know this is a baby and then you come back and you're going to pay the price to have another human being murder your baby. So we work our way through this. So how can you take the license away from a doctor that hasn't broken the law? Because he's, it's our pro-life laws that are keeping this legal. This is the question that I asked in this presentation. If Roe v. Wade was overturned today, in Oklahoma there would be 278 ways to legally murder a baby. So uh, have you done much research into other states? Is it comparable as far as that many laws? It's exactly. It's very comparable. Oklahoma is by far the largest. We have, we're considered the most pro-life state in the union. We murder 7,000 babies a year, and we get an award every year for being the pro-life, most pro-life state in the union. But this is what the political hamster wheel learns. So what happens is those pro-life bills get passed, the governor signs them, and they kind of go into a waiting period. And what they're doing is they're waiting to get through election season. So all of these Republican pro-lifers can say, look at the bills that we passed last year. Look at the bills. And as soon as an election, election cycle is over, the Supreme Court of the state comes in and say, oh, these bills are unconstitutional. We're going to scratch all of them. So then they get scratched. And then all of the, the, all the pro-lifers said, look what the Democrats did. Look what the liberals did. Look how horrible the courts are. We've got to go raise money. We've got to rally. Everybody sign this petition. Anyone listening to this, just think about what you've seen on Facebook for the last year, two years, five years, headline, Ohio ends abortion, Georgia ends abortion, Missouri, this bill is the one that's going to end abortion. Matter of fact, there's a discussion right now because Missouri is sending a, a challenge, and here's what the headlines say, Missouri is challenging the Supreme Court. We're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. If you read the legislation, it says that they're only willing to stop abortion at 15 weeks. Oh. And it also provides for rape, incest, and health of the mother. So all a woman has to I was raped. Well, is there a police report? Is there a, uh, this is incest. Well, is there a police report? You know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not healthy. I might kill myself. I'm, all you have to do is claim any of these three. Another thing that people don't realize, here in Oklahoma, did you know that you could have an abortion up to 42 weeks? In Oklahoma? In Oklahoma. And also in all other states. There's simply a loophole in every one of these late-term abortion bills that says if the baby potentially has an abnormality that could cause a lesser quality of life or potential death, 
then you can have an abortion. It doesn't require a second opinion. It doesn't require another doctor to sign it. It's a simple signature, and we send our citizens from Oklahoma to Wichita, Kansas, and they murder babies at 42 weeks. Now, I'm the kind of person, whether you're talking 42 weeks or 42 seconds, I believe that life begins at conception. But this is what we do. We keep passing these incremental regulatory bills. Literally, for those that are studying the Word of God, these are negotiations with demonic principalities, with Bell and Moloch. And instead of saying, no, we're not going to bow down. We're going to sacrifice our children. We're saying, okay, well, we're not even fighting to stop anymore. We're saying, okay, if you're going to do it, let's pass bills like the uh, 20-week bill that's pain-capable. So I said, because a baby can't, quote-unquote, feel pain previous to 20 weeks, you can have an abortion previous to 20 weeks because those babies can't feel pain. Well, the Word of God doesn't say don't murder if a person can't feel pain. Amen. It says do not murder. And so this is what we're happening is we've taken a very secular humanist approach to the issue of abortion. It's infiltrated the church. Jude talks about that. There are those that have crept in unnoticed. They brought a different gospel. And this has been happening for almost 50 years. And so many of the stances that we have today as the body of Christ is not a biblical stance. It's actually a human secular position on this, on this issue. We're speaking with Daniel Nevejas. He's with um, AFS.life. And AFS stands for? Abortion-Free States. Abortion-Free States. We're going to have to have you back, Daniel. We're already out of time. But um, God bless you. Thank you so much. It's such an eye-opening presentation. And this conversation has to be had in the states, but in the evangelical churches, Protestant Protestant churches. Anyone who claims to be pro-life, we need to start adjusting a little bit. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll connect hopefully in the near future. Thank you, and God bless you.